0: Hello and welcome to an emergency session of the Lexington Marquis Soccer Show and uh, this particular session is an exciting one because we are joined by uh, the uh, greatest soccer expert that I personally know uh, who I will affectionately call Irish Mike. Hello to you. Uh, Welcome Mike. Uh, I'm excited to have you and I'm excited because today we did a little research for once on this show and We're going to take a look at uh, or at least try our hand at analyzing the USL League One championship game that happened in late November just this past year and see if that tells us a little something about how we can build a championship caliber team in Lexington, which obviously uh, we're going to do immediately in year one, right?
1: Precisely. And like with our finger on the pulse as accurately as it is, you know, basing all of our observations on something that happened three months ago, this is exactly what we need to develop Lexington Soccer.
0: No, yeah, I I think you're exactly right. Uh, This is exactly the kind of attitude, in fact, we want through the organization, uh, if if I'm not mistaken, right? Precisely, because like, especially
1: considering that we're a blank canvas with every every idea is valid at this point, no matter who's coming up with it.
0: I'm right there with you, and and so our ideas are uh, just as valid as our millionaire owner. So uh, moving forward, what what did you think? What were your overall impressions of the game, Mike? So I mean, we can we can give your bona fides if you want, uh, but I just choose to uh, let the listeners believe that anyone with any vaguely European accent is a complete and utter soccer analyst expert. Uh, if that works by you, I'm not sure. Use that to my advantage anyway, because
1: I think again being generally European or to an even more micro extent Irish. A lot of things are assumed, and you might as well just roll with it because you're most often not going to get caught, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one's really going to call you on it. No, it, It's perfect, so uh, now we'll go ahead and edit this part out of the podcast. So, <laughs> considering the, the fact that you are an expert on uh, this beautiful game that we hope to soon watch in our town, what stood out, what was your first sort of reaction, what stood out most to you when you flipped on this, the best that League One can offer?
1: There were two things that jumped out at me straight away. Um, Number one And this might be speaking to my own ignorance Of American soccer coverage But I was thinking How did they get Alexi Lalas to co-commentate on this Then I realised it was this Devin Kerr guy who just has the exact same Voice as Alexi Lalas Either Alexi Lalas is really committed to, like, the growth of soccer to a degree that I never would have imagined, or they're just trying to fool people because, honestly, I never would have even known that it wasn't him until he made some reference to being from Nebraska. And I was like, I don't think Alexi Lalas is from Nebraska. I don't know that he isn't, but I don't think that he
0: is. (laughs) It's, I'm I'm perfectly willing to believe it, I just, I'm not gonna accept it.
1: You you wouldn't be able to get away with that goatee growing up in Nebraska. Like, or at least like mid '90s version, anyway.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. However, the uh, the denim that you would have been able to get away with.
1: <laughs> I'd say he, yeah, irrespective of who you are, I'd say any mid '90s American soccer player owned at least one pair of uh, denim cutoffs and several denim cutoff jackets. I, I, could, I could definitely see that working.
0: Oh, listen. I mean, that's that is uh, just it's just part of the zeitgeist, Mike. But on a more serious note, the thing
1: that really I'll, to maybe use an apt metaphor smack me over the head with a two by four was what was that on the pitch i was like <laughs> every single pass was accompanied by a puff of something and i don't know what that was
0: Yeah, so I believe you have uh, been rudely introduced to the uh, world of soccer on baseball pitches, or as I often affectionately describe it, playing tennis on a ping pong table. So Omaha plays on a baseball pitch converted into a soccer stadium. And I'm not certain what Omaha does, but I believe like Louisville, when they used to play at Slugger Field, would basically just roll sod out over the clay infield. So, I believe what you're seeing is dudes just, like, if they drag their feet or hit the ball against something, they're just, like, tearing up the sod and kicking up the clay or sand underneath? Yeah, because, again, I was looking at it kind of going,
1: is is that sand? Or, as you say, it might be sod. And it's sort of like, is, did, might, does this benefit certain players? Do other players just get demonstrably worse by having to deal with this? Like, it was, it was a little unfair to judge some of them. I think some of them triumphed over it. And there, were yeah. one, there were one or two players who were clearly far better than anybody else in the field, but there were a couple who I don't think, um, who were disadvantaged by it, and there are definitely a couple who I don't think I think it disguised how rubbish they actually are by making you feel sorry for them.
0: <laughs> I like it. Um, and uh, maybe uh, luckily that, uh, or luckily or unluckily, that shouldn't be Lexington's case because we'll play on a real soccer field. But I'm right there with you. It's it definitely, in my opinion, I think it's a negative to guys who are good on the ball with the ball on their feet. Like anyone who wants to dance around and play really sort of beautiful touch and go, even like tiki-taka, not that we're going to see that in League One. But anyone trying to do that, it's definitely a disadvantage it seems to me and anyone who wants to play Route 1, like, big guys with cinderblock feet, like, yeah, this is, sign me up. I, I think you
1: just described Greenville's entire tactic there. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, uh, I think that that could indeed have been their tactic of the, uh, the legend John Harks. No,
1: I couldn't believe it when I saw John Harkes. I was not, I could... Yes! It's like, again, I, I know I mentioned Lexi Lalas earlier, but it's like, we're, we're assembling the USA 94 team. <laughs> well,
0: welcome to League One. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. So John Harkes uh, is down in League One. He was actually formerly a USL championship coach, but uh, had some disagreements with the front office in Cincinnati. So now he's in League One, which, you know, I I feel like we should have expected that from John Harks as someone who uh, often has disagreements with people and uh, teammates who he's not supposed to disagree with. Or maybe the bigger issue is that he has agreements with people he really shouldn't have agree- (laughs) with
1: that's that's a phrase you don't hear enough i quite like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) one thing i will say i did notice them just to go slightly off topic i was looking up the other coaches of usl league one teams
0: and i noticed that one of them is an irishman yes iman zayed (laughs) he was actually formerly a player i think he played one season for chattanooga but he, he and he used to play in iran
1: right yeah, because he's, he's got an interesting family background in that. Like, he's born in Dublin. One of his parents is from Dublin, his mom, I think. And then his dad is from Tunisia or Libya. He played internationally for Libya. played yeah, underage right. for Ireland and then played in Iran, yeah. like he And he has some mad record of, like, scoring some daft hat trick in some, like, Tehran derby in the last 10 minutes of a game to win it. It's, it's one of those, like, things where he's a cult hero in Tehran that, like, Nobody else would ever know that, other than him. <laughs>
0: yeah, if he's not there to sing his own praises, no one will. Um, I actually listened to an interview uh, by him the other day. It was just an Irish podcast, actually interviewing him because he got this head coaching job. I guess they kind of follow former. Uh, well, like you said, he wasn't even a national team player, so I don't know. Oh, but it's even
1: better. But even if, like, if you were to the point where you play League of Ireland and you're doing something outside of Ireland, then like. You can count those on one hand, like we we had a player called Killian Sheridan years ago who basically toured around the second tier leagues of Europe and actually did quite well like he played in Cyprus for a few years and in Poland for a while and he was just kind of this this journeyman who actually was again a bit of a cult hero in like various like outposts across Eastern Europe,
0: which makes me laugh because uh, actually uh, in those outposts never never really MLS as far as I know, but the USL has a strong relationship with Irishmen uh, and Kentucky for that matter. So he first played for Orlando City, but James O'Connor was a player for Orlando City louisville city when they came to the league orlando moved up to mls and then louisville bought orlando's usl slot basically and so then they uh orlando helped them out a ton and one of those things they helped them with is that when o'connor retired he became their head coach uh, and basically built that entire team uh, splendidly, and now he is his technical title. He's probably vice president of something, but he basically runs all their on-field operations. That's
1: pretty good. Yeah, because like I think that's a the legacy of the kind of the more globalized nature of soccer in Europe and especially in England of recent times is that you have a lot of these Irish players who once upon a time would have been like a jobbing pro like in championship but now there's so many different nationalities represented that they just don't get to look in anymore so they kind of have to spread their wings a bit
0: and and I think that profile is interesting because, again, it, it, at the level we're looking at, those are the kind of players we're going to look for. So I guess what we're really getting at is what you've seen of the quality of play and players on the field in this title game, Mike. Who's on the horizon for us? Give us some Irish guys. Let's let's bring them in. Lexington has, uh, we've got Irishmen around, right?
1: I don't know. Yeah, well, they're all horsey people and they're all about five foot nothing, so I don't think they'd be any use to us. They certainly <laughs> couldn't get a game for Greenville since you have to be like a, an enormous lummox to play for them, it would seem.
0: Right, right, yeah
1: although I was going to say except for the one player of theirs who was small who I couldn't stand but we'll get back to him later but I I won't say who it is but I've got notes down saying X for Greenville fancies himself just recycles and jogs
0: I'm so excited to get there! Um, okay, so in interest of that that uh, getting the payoff for that splendid teaser, overall, sort of, uh, what would you rate the level of play of this game? Like, where would you kind of put it? I know that the field is going to be a major concern, and these kind of things going on the road in this league, and then that puts a damper on some players' game, and maybe artificially inflates some others, but how would you sort of characterize, uh, again, like we said before, what the best of what USL League One can offer? Because really, Omaha, and greenville are far and away the two best teams in this league and have been for its entire existence with the in- uh, exception of the first year where uh, fc dallas's b team won the title but they're no longer in the league so. yeah
1: and I, I was reading about that too and i'm there are gonna be plenty of questions from me and you'll have to excuse my ignorance but
0: yeah yeah this whole um what was the other thing called the mls pro that they moved to or something oh my, mls next or something yeah, or yeah mls pro Next. it's the, the logo is trash it's hilariously bad but yeah
1: yeah, because like, I just noticed that there were, these other, there were these other teams who were there. And like again, that's the whole... And I know you have to build a culture and the, the franchise model and all that, but it is just a bit jarring for someone who's used to, well, this team has been there for 100 years and someone rich bought them and they got good all of a sudden, as opposed to this team appeared out of nowhere and uh, overnight won X Division.
0: Right, right, yeah, like, uh, for instance, Omaha, the winners of this game, just came out of nowhere, built an immediate, like, contender, and, and it's uh, League One, The what you need to spend is a lot less because of how small the league is. I also personally find it hilarious, like... Just Tucson in general, so if you're listening to this, go ahead and look up USL League One map and just take a look at that. The For playing third-tier soccer, the amount of money Tucson must run up on flight bills is just preposterous trying to get around here. Yeah, because it did look like
1: the teams were kind of clustered over here, and then... Is there one team in California, one, and then in Tucson, and then everyone else is over like Eastern Seaboard-ish, or east of the Mississippi at the very least?
0: Exactly, and, and Fuego, the California teams, though, they're in um, uh, Fresno, and this is going to be their first season, and it's going to be Colorado's first season, so basically all of that is just like Tucson petitioning the league every single year, and they're like, you need teams in the western half of this country.
1: Yeah, it's like a U- USL League One, sponsored by climate change.
0: <laughs> exactly. But yeah, uh, so geographically, that is interesting, too, because when Lexington was on the initial tour to see who would join this league, uh, there were other cities like, again, Knoxville, Tennessee, Asheville, North Carolina. It's all sort of in this area. So I'll be really interested long term to see if USL puts their money where their mouth is and does institute at least internal pro-rel, promotion and relegation. That's a big thing because, for
1: me, because I was looking at that earlier. and yeah does actually feed into what i want to talk about later with regard to what i want lexington to do but yes while there is no pro uh, promotion and relegation it poisons the well a little bit but at the same time i know you have mm-hmm. I, I do know you have to build up this culture of people watching it and you know build up rivalries between teams and all of that and get more teams wanting to get involved but um the one upside of having no promotion or relegation at the moment is it allows Lexington to establish an identity that it doesn't matter if it doesn't work commit to it and to say we're going to play this way or we're going to recruit players to do this sort of thing or get coaches who think in a particular way and even if they lose all their games say we're going to keep trying this cuz this is the thing that we want to do in the future when promotion is a possibility.
0: Right, there literally is no basement because the basement is oh look you sign up and you play again and even uh not being dependent on a draft of players like the NFL is or like the NHL is other leagues that use this franchise model in what is a very North American style of Sports league structuring, um, and and like you said, it, it, as long as they can sort of inculcate this uh, early uh, identity and and rivalries and things like that, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. And so I mean, let's let's skip a a ahead to that and use this game as a framework. What we talked about, John Harkes, and sort of he has been wildly successful everywhere he's gone in USL, so everywhere in uh, American lower division soccer. But the style of play, at least in this game, was not attractive and not successful. A lot more uh, Route 1, like, how would you characterize Greenville first, and then we'll hit on Omaha and see if either of them are a model you're interested in?
1: Yeah, well, Greenville, I, I both see what they were doing and have no idea what they were doing simultaneously. Like, from a, from a defensive and- standpoint, they were trying to be compact, but they just ended up being clogged. Had so many bodies in the middle of the pitch, it was ridiculous, and they were almost falling over each other. And it was it was so easy to play around them. And like, we'll come to we'll come on to him later. But that uh, left back viadere he is far too good for this league.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, oh my goodness! At the very least, he should be in the championship. Like, I, it's it's
1: yeah. But, I'm with you. Then um, he just had so much joy down the left to the point that. About 15 minutes in, they just stopped going down that channel at all, just so he wouldn't get the ball. <laughs> but, um,
0: it's so true. like it
1: was just their defensive. I and again, being compact, if you do have your low block to the whole Mourinho thing, if everyone's very disciplined and knows where they're supposed to be, it's a platform, and I get that, but. If they end up being clogged rather than compact, which is, the, again, the two words I wrote down, then it just becomes messy. And even in even in build-up play, they were so ponderous. Like, it, they took too long on the ball. It was very kind of scattered. Like, they started off doing these, like, diagonals down the wing to that Ibarra guy. But, mm-hmm. again, he just had no joy against Fyadar, so they stopped doing that. I liked that uh, mm-hmm. Gavilanes guy. He was a bit of a live wire. Like, he uh, he had a one great cross, like... Um, uh, kind of out, bit out of no, out of nowhere, kind of in like 25th minute, where I think that that big lummox of a striker they had up there who just headed it wide and he really should have scored. And He had a rather ostentatious and entertaining dive over, um, Nuhu at around half time for a penalty that if that had been given, uh, I, I would lose the will to live. But, um, otherwise, it was like their midfield was just forgettable and it was just. Every time they got the ball, I had no idea what they were going to do because I didn't think they had any cohesive plan of how to attack. And when they didn't have the ball, they were so passive, like they didn't press at all, and they just invited pressure onto them. And then they had all their players compacted in the middle, which meant they were easy to play around, and... It was a a miracle that Omaha were
0: only winning by two at halftime. What do you think, so we talked a little bit about the baseball stadium, that's kind of where I always go because I'm right there with you with that congested feeling, um, just feeling like a logjam back there. Do you think that was, the majority of that was caused by this particular pitch that they were playing on and the non-regulation congested nature of that, or... Cause I think this is similar to what you said as well, like their midfield or was their midfield just not up to it. Like, because on some level that should have benefited them if they don't have an athletic midfield, then they should have been able to make up this minimal ground better. But. I don't know. Do you think that that strictly came down to the pitch or more of the players? I think it's the players. They don't.
1: They didn't seem like they had players with natural width, or like um, they reminded me a bit of the kind of the joke we have at home about a, a Tony Pulis team, back, like back when he was. Yeah. It was just basically if he could play centre backs in every position, he would. And it it yeah. sort of seemed like that's what they were going for, because like, they it was. I will say their left sided centre back, whose name is Casey, who's number twelve, he was quite good. And but again, he was a left side centre back. He was kind of cultured coming out of defence, and had a decent pass on him. But then the rest of them back there were also just sort of doing the same thing, but not as well. And mm-hmm. it just seemed that the, the wingers for um, Omaha got so much joy. And even that um, that that random little scamp for uh, Omaha, that guy Boyce, he reminds me of Connor Gallagher for um, Crystal Palace, one of those players who's like all action. You love him on your team. You'd hate him if he's playing against you. He was kind of a bit like a like a golden retriever puppy or something. It was like you know he's just r- rampaging around the place. You don't really know what he's going to do, and they didn't know how to counter that. And again, it was just so stodgy from them. And he, like again, like I mentioned before that like they they um, they were kind of ponderous in their build up, but their passing was so lateral as well. Like if you were con- compared to Omaha, when Omaha built from the back, their passing was always progressive. And mm-hmm. each player moved it forward slightly. You could see from centre back to centre back, back to whatever, wing back or full back rather. It was they were moving the ball forward whenever they went anywhere, whereas it was always just very just plodding and just dull while they were passing it around waiting for someone to lump it forward to. And
0: Yeah, right, just looking for longness. Yeah,
1: and, and I know they had yeah, and in fairness, he's a big target man. He didn't really do much in the game. And I understand he scored a lot of goals earlier in the season, but he said if, if They clearly didn't have a midfield they trusted because they were so willing to bypass them at every available opportunity.
0: Yeah, right. Like you said, uh, Gavilanis and Ibarra just hoping to generate something on the wings with those guys and then, again, get it into Lomas. But that's not a way to win a game.
1: It's also not a way to get fans. And that was the thing that really struck me because, like, the thing with... And that's what I loved about Omaha, too, is that Viedere and uh, Souza being particularly aggressive. Like, I, I don't think... I think if either of them could not bother defending, they probably wouldn't. So, like, Mm -hmm. there there was an opportunity there to use the channels a lot better to get around them when they were pressing forward because it was rare that one of them hung back so that the other one could go forward. They generally just both went for it. But they were rewarded for doing so, so I can see why they did.
0: Right, and so, I mean, let's let's switch gears then. So, J-Mims very much is sort of a Boy Wonder, like Wunderkind... In this league, this younger coach, uh, he was very successful. Um, He was formerly the coach at uh, Omaha, the are they? I think they're Omaha University is their official name. Uh, But so he has these connections to junior colleges around the area, obviously, the university he formerly uh, coached at. And was able to bring in players to play a very specific system, kind of knew the area and stuff like that. Uh, but before we talk about recruiting and things like that, uh, what, what did you see from his team that led to what was really a, a drubbing in this title game? It, like you said, it, it was three 0 at the end of it, but it didn't totally look like a three nil game.
1: No, it didn't, and it was. But well, I think crucially, I mentioned I mentioned their um, progressive passing earlier, and they clearly had a high press that they were all fully subscribed to but so many of their players just had better ball skills than their counterparts like I, I'm thinking like Knutsen was a pretty was pretty good with the ball at his feet for a big guy I like that Osumanu guy in, in defense he was pretty good yeah. again Boyce was a bit random but that was kind of fun um obviously Viedere was great your man Conway was like First of all, to, to use a term at home, uh, an absolute house. He was just wandering around the place, kicking people, but also scoring. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> the second yellow card was just the best, too. I'm just like, well, yep, that's the way it's going to be. I know, and
1: it's like a bit of a failure of management there to leave that guy on. Like you're winning two, you're winning oh, yeah. two, like the only good chances that Greenville had were after he was sent off. And you could mm-hmm. see from a mile away. Honestly, the referee, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, when he was through around the 50th minute, and he didn't do anything wrong, I don't think. But he kind of flicked at the ball when the uh, Greenville keeper went down on it and he almost kicked him and the Greenville keeper stayed down. The ref took his yellow out of his pocket but then realised he'd already booked him and didn't want to send him off for it. Yeah, because At the time, I was like, they're going to send him off for that because I saw the yellow. And then I think the ref was like, oh no, I've already booked this guy. And then he gave him a stern talking to. But yeah, at that point, you were like, ah, there's no way this fella's staying on the pitch. But But at the same time, you do need that for a high press. You need these people who are, like, right on the edge. That sort of, like... For every time he gets sent off for doing this kind of stuff, he's going to win the ball back in an advanced position and lead to an overload and have a two-on-one or a three-on-two or whatever. So you can't say... That it's a negative thing. It's just that maybe on those days when he's already been booked early on, you maybe take him off (laughs) a bit beforehand.
0: Right. You might just, you, you might need to do one of two things. You either need to have a third center forward that you're confident in on your team. Or maybe you need to coach in this idea for a little formation change, like maybe oh we can't play two at the top anymore. Conway's got to come off. Hurst, you're leading the line. By, by the your... way,
1: I loved how they had a player G Hurst as their striker. Like you know, yeah. just 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 to give any kind of uh, shades of England 1966. Like you know, it's just I did, I, did, I found that very entertaining. I,
0: I believe he's a Scotsman uh, as well. If that does anything Being for funnier.
1: you, <laughs> and, yeah. Because yeah. every time I saw him, oh there's Jeff Sorry, Greg Hurst, but um. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else there it was. That yeah, that that was pretty much the most what I what I saw from them. It was like defensively, they weren't challenged. Oh, there were a couple of occasions when they did look a little ropey, which is kind of again what you'd expect from a team who play the way they do. But like, there was that um, mm-hmm. that chance, uh, the, the kind of the Gavilanes little tumble over Nuhu. Mm-hmm. But like that was mm-hmm. that all came from like a really clumsy attempted at clearance from Souza and. It was, it, had they got something out of it, it would have been genuinely unfair because I, I, like it would have been entirely fortuitous for Greenville to even get a penalty in any scenario, never mind then. But it, it just seemed that a team that had more of an attacking plan might have been able to get at them, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: they never needed to worry about that.
0: So. Yeah. Right. And and let's pivot a little bit. Um, so with this idea specifically, uh, Omaha being more attractive, and we're interested in what does this mean for Lexington and what could they build? Obviously, Greenville on their day would, I think, have been a much more exciting team to watch uh, when things were working. Although, like you've said, maybe they benefited from just having uh, Mario Lomas, who is legitimately a very talented number nine, but he is a big, a big lug. That's what he is. Um, and so Union Omaha just decided no thank you and it didn't work. Like we've talked about uh, Knudsen and Osmanu good center back pairing. They're able to handle that guy but certain elements of Omaha that you talked about both advantages and disadvantages all seem like things that exactly like you said I'd love to see Lexington do specifically playing that high press exciting create turnover chances having someone like Conway who's gonna try and mix it up and yes sometimes it's gonna go wrong and that's gonna be really bad for your team Boyce has sort of this free-ranging style sometimes that's gonna go wrong and that's really gonna be bad for you but for the fans that's exciting I mean kind of to, to build excitement for that first year, you kind of want more 3-2 wins than 1-0 win, wins?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, and you, you need connection and buy-in. like Because, like, if Greenville, and again, this was a, a USL League 1 final, and you have to do whatever <clears> you can to win the game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, if it's just regular league games, and like, Lexington not have to go into any season assuming that they're going to finish bottom. Mm-hmm. They're they're I know that I know they're mm-hmm. not the only new team, but you have to assume that you're going to be worse than everybody who's already there. And yes. With that assumption, you might as well have a bit of fun and you might as well get your fans connected with the players you actually have playing for you.
0: Right, the way you're going to catch teams who are better than you and let's just for the sake of the audience like we're not saying Lexington's going to be bad per se and we do understand that like Omaha you can you can buy players and come into this league out of nowhere because it is so new the league itself is less than half a decade old so you can come out of nowhere and succeed but the major disadvantage is just the idea that your players have never played together before, they've never played on your pitch, they've never played in your city with your fans, a lot of them might have never played in your country before. Some of them might have never played professionally before, because we've talked about how USL League 1 relies, the the backbone of this league are 22, 23, 24 year old players just out of college, trying to make their first sort of dip their toe in the water at professional soccer and see if this is going to go anywhere for them or if they need to retire at 27, which sadly is what happens for a lot of American soccer players. Um, so it, that's where that disadvantage comes from but we you can you we can still take that as an opportunity to play exciting soccer uh and use that as an advantage like yeah i don't know let the team score as long as it means you're going to go back at them and try to do something about it yeah
1: and like and i not, and i know how this works in ireland too with um in the league of ireland where in recent years with a lot more players coming back we've kind of been benefiting from the the kids who go over to england in their teens and then come back to ireland and they've kind of learned a lot from the academies over there and that's helped them out like is there a market for americans who leave america to play and come back i know that um was this uh, walker was that the player not walker doyle sorry doyle who was playing for um omaha i think he i think they mentioned in the commentary that he would played a couple of seasons in the championship in england
0: yeah, I'm pulling it up. Uh, let's see here. He played for Derby. Yeah. So like,
1: yeah. if there's a few of those kind of players around that you can kind of tempt back, just, you know, they, even if they're a bit older, even if they're in their 30s, just to have a couple of these kind of older heads because he definitely had a bit more nuance to what he was doing kind of was yes he 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 knew when to stand off he knew when, like there was, at times the game kind of did devolve into like you know 12 year olds all having a kick around in the park kind of vibe yeah. but um he, he always seemed to have just a little bit more tactical awareness than a lot of the other players on the pitch
0: yeah i'm right there with you and we did an episode uh just previously talking about player profiles to look for and that's one of these ideas like you're not going to be able to break the bank a lot, but if you can find the right guys, like find these guys, especially as you mentioned, it's really helpful um, that, just as an aside, I would like to uh, point out to you that uh, Mr. Doyle has dual citizenship. He's Irish and uh, American. I didn't
1: want to assume anything because he hears the name Connor Doyle, like, ah, that's too easy, too easy.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah. Born in Texas, but I-, I must have Irish parents or something. I don't know what the deal is. Um, but yeah, that that idea of you, you need a couple of those guys. They're going to be more expensive, I just have to assume, so we got I hope that our ownership's willing to shell out, because flawed though it may be, that's the model we have in American sports in general, and definitely in USL, but bringing in that experience is crucial.
1: Well, it just made me think too, because of the other teams in USL League One, how many have, I know Omaha do, but how many of the other cities have a university with a decent soccer program? obviously UK have been doing well so.
0: UK and uh, it's it's crucial I think that Marshall is just down the road just across the border into West Virginia for us and they are the just two seasons ago national champions so having those two college programs nearby is super important and could really help us build an immediate sort of core of the team and then if we can spice in a few guys like you mentioned like Doyle or earlier you mentioned his play uh, the captain for Omaha Sousa that's another one of these veteran type guys that's great to have on your team and uh, I, I
1: do want to say though, just because I like Greenville as a city, I very much enjoyed my trip there last summer. So I do want to mention a couple of good things about them. And yeah, yeah, these were the two players they brought off the bench when they were chasing the game, namely uh, Morel and uh, what was his name Brown, I think.
0: Yeah, Nico Brown, the winger.
1: Yeah, they were both really good. It's like yeah. why why didn't you start? Okay, Morel missed an absolute sitter, like a header from like six yards. But like, but the two of them, it's like. They injected so much more energy and vibrance to the attack that just wasn't there. And it was sort of, I you was know, wondering where where was that early on? Like, or, I don't know.
0: I'm right there with you. Uh, and I'd be curious. I don't know if that has to do with sort of like player starters or whatever. But like, Morel, for instance, I'm pretty sure he played over a thousand minutes for Greenville over the course of the season. So... Not entirely sure what's up there. Nico Brown, I think, was a late season addition. um, So that might be why he didn't get in there as much. He's only 21 Jamaican. uh, I believe he plays for the Jamaican national team or at least the youth team. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Maybe it's just because Morel is the backup to Lomas and Lomas scored 14 goals. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. well,
1: it seems quite a different player, too, I suppose, because he seems more kind of impish, to put it uh, mildly. But, uh, cause, but, like, but it's funny, and, and again, is the problem with Conway getting sent off, but um, if you were to look at expected goals in this game, which I haven't, and I would be very upset if someone had taken the time to actually do XG on USL <laughs> League One games, but, like, the amount of yeah. sitters that um, Greenville missed in the last 10 minutes. Oh. Like, mm-hmm. um, Morel missed one, Brown missed one, Booth had that header kind of saved on the line, which... I you can't give that really but like you could if it had been given you couldn't really complain and like it was 2-0 at that point if they'd scored any of those then i think all of the thought that i was giving uh omaha earlier would sort of uh, have evaporated really because like it would have been 2-1 they had a man advantage and it was only right at the very end that they made it 3-0 so uh, to use to use the most uh garbled cliche in a uh, soccer 2-0 is a very dangerous lead <laughs>
0: <laughs> the most dangerous score no I- i'm rather right with you and it is interesting because i think that's something that I- i'm just curious again going back to lexington that i kind of worry about the idea that if you have any remote finishing ability at all and you play in american soccer whether it's college or whether you're in someone's academy or whether you're playing in these usl divisions or nisa you immediately end up on an MLS roster. Whether that means you're playing for their U23 squad or you're on the bench with the first team, you just immediately get signed. So it's something that I guess worries me because to some extent we really need to generate a lot of shots at this level in American soccer because your dudes just don't have the finishing and there's going to be a lot of misses. And I don't know... I, I can spin that positively. I'm curious, do you think that would demoralize a fan base, or would it be exciting to see lots of chances, and then it just makes it that much better when a couple of them finally do More go?
1: More chances there? are always better. Like, and yeah. it, all, it also gives you that sense of grievance if you do lose. Yes. Like, for, for, like you know, we had 25 shots. <laughs> How did we lose? How did we yes. lose 1-0? But, um, but again, it's like if you're really into your metrics and your numbers and so on, then like more shots equals more xg which means that you're doing the right thing you're you're getting players into positions to shoot and if you're not taking and yes. i was only thinking about this phrase the other day which i can't stand you know that whole thing you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take i hate wayne gretzky hate baby <laughs> because the actual phrase should be you don't score 100 percent of the shots you don't take but you can't miss a shot you didn't take
0: That's true. That's true. It might be
1: semantic, but you won't, you definitely didn't score it, but you can't miss it because miss implies you took the shot and didn't (laughs) score it. (laughs) Yes, yes. To anyone who ever played uh, hockey for any Alberta based uh, hockey teams, then um, I I challenge you to uh, correct me on that. Yes,
0: yes. Uh, I think that it's uh, ironclad logic there. Um, So. We're, we're f- totally fine with them taking as many chances. S- misses, uh, setting aside, uh, whatever that means uh, on that side, but generating a lot of shots. Do you want to see, so Omaha in particular, I don't know, formation to some extent doesn't matter. It matters before the game starts. And then as soon as the game is actually on, at least in modern soccer, there's a lot of fluidity there. Um, but Omaha happens to play a 4-4-2. But like you said, they absolutely just unleash the dogs with their full backs and just let them bomb forward. Is there a specific formation or style of play you want to see Lexington to um, commit to? And then from there, if there is one, is there a player type or like a key role that you think would be a must to make that happen? Like, is there someone who we really need to hit a home run on a player type? Well, that's the thing, it's, is that
1: it was weird to see a game played by two teams playing four four two. It did seem very retro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like watching a game in the yes. 90s. But... Um... Honestly, the formation doesn't matter that much because it'll all come down to what coach they get. And if the coach has a clear identity of what he wants to do, then the formation is dictated more by the players he's able to get than anything else. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if you, if you look at what's popular at the moment, you've got like three main styles and they're like your three-five-two with your wing backs. That's kind of been favored by Chelsea to give a good example. There's the kind of slightly going out of fashion, but still being used four-two-three-one that you kind of was was the kind of the classic sort of um, kind of not yeah double pivot exactly, and then the kind of more Germanic four-two-two-two two, two thing that like uh, you know Ralph Hasenhutl and Rangnick and all those guys use. And honestly, it just comes down to personnel. I think if we have someone who's able to use his personnel. But to use them in the them playing the same way, irrespective of where they play them, like Guardiola is a great example there. Because like, who does Guardiola have formations? Like it's just eleven people who are really good at soccer, all on a team, and they win more often than not. <laughs> like I have, I have no idea what formation they play, and I know it's yeah. And so it's, it's and again, okay, like are be the best team in the world? There's no point worrying about that too much, but like as long as we have a coach with a clear vision of what he wants to achieve and that means players who are fit able to do the high press and are not afraid to make mistakes and are willing to progress the ball that is both exciting to watch and will get people engaged with the team
0: yeah perfect i mean you you've got me sold that's exactly what i want i love the idea of a high press i love the idea of a gunslinging mentality and like you said finding the right coach to some extent Omaha lucked out on the fact that Jay Mims was the coach at the university in their same city. Um, He had moved on to a different, uh, he'd gone somewhere else, but it was, he was gone for like two years and immediately brought him back and was willing to move back to the city. So that's just something that I guess we can't control. We just have to uh, trust in Sam Stockley and the front office to find someone who can do that. Again, we talked about some coaching options uh, in a previous show and a lot of those guys are off the table now but I-, I personally was kind of favoring some of these dudes who had already coached before for the reasons you said someone who has an idea of what they want to do or has deep roots in the American soccer superstructure so they'd be able to recruit players because all those things I think are crucial especially in life yeah or, moment, or like so. ev-
1: even like to what's been happening a lot in Germany and Austria lately where like former scouts are underlings of well-known coaches like uh, like say which was hilarious the the day I'm um, in the champions league game between uh, Bayern munich and red bull salzburg and um, the captain of salzburg was older than both of the coaches <laughs> and like yes it's like because like again i know you julian Nagelsmann's an outlier but even the salzburg coach is like 34 or five so like it was just this thing that just being exposed for a long period of time doesn't necessarily make you a better coach but like you said the connection thing is important mm-hmm. and we need to have that sort of know-how and ability to be able to attract players
0: exactly and and either either I want someone who has connections in this area because like you said we have this great sort of hotbed of players being brought in Marshall weirdly has this like insane Brazilian pipeline they bring all these Brazilian players in and through their organization and then UK used to bring in a lot of Scandinavian players and now they've kind of pivoted and seemed to bring in a lot of Germans but still like if we could tap into those two now. Networks, then that's maybe a higher quality of player than you'd get normally. However, there's also uh, great teams, even Center College traditionally has been really good uh, at their level, uh, relatively locally and things like that. So there's all sorts of players you could draw from. If there was, what what player do you think, what do you need the most in to play a high press? If we think that's the main thing that we want, one, to put butts in seats and make an exciting product for the team early on, but also maybe to generate wins. Is it someone like Conway who's willing to take risks and lead the line like that? Or is it someone uh, more like Viadair, someone to streak down the wings? Like, what what do you think, well, think is the
1: most crucial? I think we can't focus too much on players like Viadair who... Wh- why he's in the league, I don't know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he's... You don't know what's even crazier? He's still in the league, like... Omaha, Omaha sent five starters up to the championship this past year. Like their their entire team got picked bare. They won this title, and the championship clubs came in, and they're like, "Well, I'll have some of that, and I'll take some of that." So they've lost like their entire team, but not via Adair.
1: Maybe he's really taken to the Omaha lifestyle. I know with with the uh, the denim cutoff jackets as we uh, alluded to earlier. But um, actually, and you know, it's funny. It it it's like, and it, this is kind of one of those things where it kind of goes both ways, but. When you think about what you want to get people excited, you kind of need these players like Boyce, honestly. Because in in fairness to Conway, I think Conway did have a bit of chops. He had he probably should have scored more than he did. He had one particular header, like a free header, actually from a Boyce cross just before half time, that he put wide that he really should have scored, but. Players like Boyce are balls of energy, completely random. Really G up the crowd. Even when he went up when he was substituted, he was kind of getting everyone going. They're just in your face all the time. You're yeah. not necessarily gonna get the best pass if he wins it back, but he's going to win it back. <laughs> and it's like it's it's just, I think it's a lot harder to teach that like enthusiasm and ability to really get up into people's faces and just win the ball back at every available opportunity. And I we mean, need just that incredible fitness and aggression. Like aggression is a thing that we need. And I think that as long as you have a couple of players around that who are able to finish things off, like if we had one striker who just basically hung out up top and didn't really do much else, and played an old-fashioned four-two-three-one, and had three just pressing monsters in the three attacking midfield positions. Then that's going to get everyone off their seats, and that's going to get everyone really engaged. And I know that's what I'd like to see anyway, because it's just creating chaos. Like to get to give the example of uh, Leeds, for a mistake in the Premier League, it's just it is utter madness like like you, you have no idea what the score could be like they concede six they could score six it's like there's there a joy in that even when your team is getting utterly caned you can still enjoy it because you, you're you're doing this sort of high risk high reward soccer
0: right right even the villa game recently with Leeds, in particular like you can be getting drubbed 3-1 at the half and you don't care because t- guess what you're still going to come back and draw the game exactly
1: and uh, I, I do i do forget about your uh, your villa leanings and their one win in their last eight yeah, it's,
0: go, fine. it's
1: fine it's fine we don't we it, it. leave that go um although it <laughs> does remind me of a wonderful theory i heard lately that uh, everyone thinks steven gerrard's doing really well because um villa play well in the games that are on tv yes they don't follow the results and they're all their normal games that they actually end up losing. But we shall, we'll we we'll digress from that. Or that was the digression, rather. But, um...
0: Oh, listen, I, I don't know what colors I bleed now, but clear and blue is all gone. Whatever colors Lexington picks, go ahead and plug those into the model. We're, we're done now.
1: Yeah, and let's let's not talk about names either. But,
0: uh...
1: Um. A, I, I was listening to a very entertaining thing recently about uh, former names of American professional soccer teams. and Oh, it's bad. Well, some of them were sensational, but, um like i i i'm i think i'm making this up now but like one of them was like the finger lakes intruders or something <laughs> it, was, it was it was almost as bad as that Oh no! Like or like the uh, Kalamazoo enthusiasm, or you know, stuff like that. It was, but um, but oh. again, we're go ahead, Eagles. Well, that is, that's actually a thing. But let's uh, let's, let's, let's let's ignore uh, second division Dutch soccer teams. <laughs> but no, it, it's it's just that that aggression and just joie de vivre and just getting people excited is so much more important. Because like if playing the way that Harks wanted Greenville to play. If you're winning people will get excited but if you're not winning they won't and you, you'll lose people pretty pretty quickly if like if you're aiming for one little victories no that's great but as soon as that starts going wrong then really people have nothing to kind of connect them to it
0: Oh, yeah, definitely agreed, definitely agreed. And, like, yeah, because, sure, you'd love to win a championship, but at what cost, almost? And uh, it did remind me, you were talking earlier, I don't know if you know, but uh, Baby Pulis uh, has made a sterling career for himself in the American lower divisions.
1: Yeah, well, you, th- Coaching. Yeah, you mentioned that, so, like, I'll, I'll have to look into it, Harkes, you know, because it's just, it's just, Maybe are some people better left in the past? Should I should I leave him there with Eric Rinalda and Kobe Jones and... And uh, uh, who else? Who? Who's, who? Well, he had that whole litany of goalkeepers. But let's not let's not rehash USA '94. But um, yeah. <laughs> w- one thing I will say, because um, I assume we're coming to the end of our, uh, of our recording, is that I did tease earlier the player that pissed me off in this game. Give it to me, Polak left back for Greenville. My God, he annoyed me. It was just he again, fancied himself as a playmaker every single pass he played was lateral and i don't think he broke into anything more than jog at any point he made a colossal cock up for the second goal (laughs) just like and he just he just struck me as someone with an arrogance on the ball that was like how is this justified and one game maybe i'm looking too much into it and i don't want to denigrate someone too much but there was something about that guy I think it's. They mentioned in commentary that I think he was from Omaha, so maybe he had a bit of a chip in his shoulder about the game.
0: But yeah, I think he's from Lincoln, just down the road. So maybe he maybe there's a big Lincoln versus Omaha rivalry in the state of Nebraska.
1: Yeah, and we'd have to the the seven people from that area of the world uh, that do exist can, if any one of them ever listens to us, maybe they can set us straight. But uh, yeah, there was something about that guy.
0: I like it. I, I do want it just because of it coming full circle, uh, his previous uh, playing experience in America, he played for St. Louis FC before they folded. St. Louis FC's coach, Anthony Pulis. <laughs> it all comes full circle, Mike.
1: Yeah, well, I think the, the moral of the story is that he probably could do it on a wet Wednesday night in Stoke.
0: <laughs> he probably has. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Tyler Polak, I'm sure you've been there. Um, so uh, we, we did talk a little bit about what do we want to see from the team in order to get the fans engaged, but obviously that's sort of a two-way street. So I am curious a little bit. You can't ask anyone to come out and watch a terrible product. like Just see FC Cincinnati, that uh, tire fire that is uh, just north of us. But... For Louisville in particular, like, one of the reasons they succeeded is they won and stuff like that and were exciting, but the fans did also have to show up, so I am curious, what do you want to see from supporters in the community uh, as it coalesces around this club?
1: I want to see community connection. Like, I want to see that the team itself goes out of its way to foster bonds with the community and for my sake i do know this just because of my own child but um he plays like in the lisa underage leagues and i know lexington pro soccer is in talks to buy that yeah yeah and that's the kind of thing they need to do like they need to get in there get everyone involved really young get them to kind of because like there's no such thing as a local team for lexingtonians to support in anything and like i i know there's does college sports and stuff but that's not quite the same so like if these kids are playing for you know the lexington soccer youth teams essentially is what they would be that's you're creating a pipeline of fans all the way along and then you got all their parents who you know for want of a better term just want to find something to do on a weekend they'll go along to games too and it's just and even small things like you know when the when these uh teams like have their little leagues and they can play their final or their final tournaments like at the stadium or just like going to the games is one thing but making everyone feel that this is about being from lexington it's not about anything else it's a thing that lexington can do
0: especially in just like tying that whole bluegrass region together I- I'm torn. Uh, I really want a Lexington identity, but I do also see the merit in tying everyone together, right? Like, get Bourbon County into it, get uh, Woodford County, Jessamine County, and things like that uh, in the whole area. But yeah, there's something I also find appealing about identifying with your city. And I don't know if that comes, like you're saying, or we talked about before, like, in England, one, everybody's team is 200 years old, and two, everybody has their team, like, even down to the neighborhood, not just down to the city, but you don't need to root for a, a team where you have to drive, over for, like, for me, even, like, I, I go to loose city games, but, man, I gotta drive an hour and a half, I'm not, I'm not going to every game, and really... I don't know. It, it, it's my team, but not like that's not my community in the same way. And those guys don't come to Lexington, and why should they? I don't blame them. Like they, they do connect to the city of Louisville, but that's the city. Um, so I'm right there with you, like connecting to these youth le- leagues, building that pipeline, or again having an academy system. Eventually, those guys are going to be your players. Um, hopefully, like that should be the real dream.
1: Yeah, but but, and, but that's the point I'm making: is that like not only will you have these kids who are going to be playing in these leagues and they're associated with it, mm-hmm. but you have all their parents. Yes. and if you can get some of them engaged and it's a fun thing to do it's a fun day out. like I I, I remember when and Pro Soccer sent out that um survey about like what the stadium would be like and all that like having that corner with the the bar and the kind of tier, the terraces and terraces and all that that would be phenomenal because that's a thing where people can go without their kids if they want to just to make it into a thing like just make it into an actual destination something to do and even like when they get the stadium built and if it is downtown like they want it to be that's just going to be phenomenal and it's just making sure that you and like for argument's sake all all big businesses now no matter what they are they lose money for a number of years before they get anywhere and we want less than pro soccer to basically say like any kid who wants to go to a game can go to this for free or for a dollar or something just that you want people in there doesn't matter what's happening doesn't matter how well the team is playing doesn't matter if it, the team might not even be playing it might be some other event that they've organized that might have nothing to do with soccer you just want people in there and you want you almost want the stadium to feel like a community center that just so happens to have soccer on at it
0: and especially yeah i'm right there with you with that as well uh, and and that's why i think downtown is so crucial so there's this idea, our ownership group, that he owns a plot of land on the north side of town out by the interstate, which is great. But I think the plan A is that that will get turned into youth soccer fields and a training complex, which, again, is awesome. Like, in the third tier, you talked about eventually we'd like to move up and have some sort of pyramid and uh, blah, blah, blah. But the the alternative, if they don't win sort of this bid, of their plan submitted for this downtown stadium is like, well, no big deal. We are going to build a stadium, but it's going to be out there. And I'm like... That's not the same. If you put it in the center of the town, then it becomes a focal point that everything focuses in on, like Rupp Arena, like, for that matter, even the campus for UK is relatively centrally located.
1: Yeah, and it's, but even beyond that, if you think about other sports in America, if you think the, the stadia people love to visit, like they make it into a destination thing. Like, for argument's sake, uh, let's use... The, the most flagrant example I can think of in NFL, where like, you used to live in San Francisco years ago, and you had Candlestick Park. And now they play in Santa Clara, which is an hour away. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> you know, it's- no, yes, it's ridiculous. That That's one thing that, yeah, these soccer clubs are all focused on downtown stadiums, sometimes to their detriment. Like, for instance, Louisville plays in Butchertown, not actually downtown. But that still is a great experience because that's a sort of gentrified uh, up-and-coming area as well. So it doesn't always need to be downtown. But like in Lexington, no, that's where you want it.
1: Because Lexington lacks that sort of um, fragmented neighborhood structure that older cities like Louisville or Cincinnati have. Lexington has a downtown and just suburbs,
0: right? Like we've got we've got like the Distillery District that could be a thing for a stadium, except that like that's basically downtown still. (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) I know it's like. Actually, that would be a, I never even thought about putting a stadium out there. There's so much wasted land out there.
0: <laughs> it's a very formerly industrial district, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And that that's exactly what the kind of the traditional hipster soccer supporter like uh, ourselves would be um, <laughs> in favor of.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Agreed, Um, or even sort of uh, near West Six. Like, not that if you could form a partnership with Transy and get them to agree to blow up their stadium, and then you take their (laughs) land, uh, because that's over... It's, like, equidistant between Blue Stallion and West Six.
1: It's funny you should mention Blue Stallion and West Six, too, and this is for beer, but lots of other things, too, and that's one thing that I would really hope that Lexington Pro Soccer takes on board, is that anything that's sold in the stadium has to be a kentucky product like yes if you, if yes there are beers there, there. are beers from lexington the food vendors are from lexington or from kentucky yes. or use kentucky products because like yes. it, it is one of those demoralizing things and admittedly i'm not a basketball guy but like anytime i've gone to rock for any reason even it's just random just big chain crap or if i've gone to concerts and rock it's like oh great they've got eight dollar pints of bud light whoop-dee-doo like right, you know, exactly sorry go on Sorry, uh, briefly cut off there. But yeah, but it's just like, I think it it also fosters more connection that everything in there is just building that Lexington vibe, which has been increasing in recent years. Like people definitely feel more proud of being from here because more stuff is from here.
0: I'm right there with you. So New Mexico United in the championship uh, had this big thing. Their initial kit sponsor was uh, this Meowcat or whatever. I'd never heard of it, but it's this local like art artists enclave um, sort of and they they had these just dope jerseys and this logo and stuff like it was great Um, and I'd love to see that like I don't know partner with Kentucky for Kentucky that area and see get get someone local to make a crest for you and uh, have the fans pick the colors and and the name and stuff like that I don't want to see sort of top-down things like that like you mentioned I want it to I want everything to feel grassroots if we're talking about grassroots players and fans like get the kids involved because they're eventually going to play for your team, but they're also going to bring your parents. That's how you're going to get people who don't traditionally watch soccer. And then they're going to come out to the stadium. Awesome. We have so many of these local breweries that people love in town. Bring them in. You want to sell like barbecue at your stadium. Okay. Let's call the people at Jay renders. They used to run a food truck. Let's get them in and have them have a stand selling food there. You want, uh, you know, all these different kinds of things because that's, what's cool about soccer, right? Like for me anyway, that's why I started following the sport. Uh, is that I got so disillusioned with the American franchise model in general, this sort of rich owners top-down, everything's the same, like you're saying, like, I can buy the same $13 Coors Light anywhere. I don't care. This is stupid. So that that's what I would like to see is just like, let's make this hyper-local uh, in, in every way we can and hopefully Hopefully, ultimately, that even means the players too, right? Because you think about another generation, this would be like generation three of fans. We're talking way down the road um, in, admittedly, a lower-tier league that's very precarious. Teams fold in USL, uh, so we need to be financially viable. But I think that having those local connections, like people would want to buy those things more. If you had Lexington Pro Soccer, whatever their team, if they are selling their hats and scarves at Kentucky for Kentucky because they were designed by a local artist, that's so cool.
1: Exactly, and it's like again, it's just it's making it into a thing that the community is proud of. That like, even if we lose every game in the season and we're prop up the league, doesn't matter because everyone really enjoys going there.
0: Well, that that is awesome. I feel like that's a perfect note to end on because you've got me excited too. Even to the point that I'm like, yeah, we're gonna play exciting soccer. We're gonna lose every game three two, and I don't care because everything's gonna be dope, and we're gonna have all these local things. Like it's just gonna be a cool. It I want. A cool hat to wear in the airport whenever we're traveling again that says yeah I'm from Lexington this is what that means
1: exactly and our tagline can be play champagne football and lose
0: (laughs) it's perfect and so with that I believe we can call this emergency uh, session uh, to an end so thanks for listening everybody we'll be back again soon hopefully with a significantly increased amount of Irish
1: There we go, because if that wasn't enough exposure for you, there's no hope in the future.
0: Exactly. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you again soon.